Welcome to I'm Anxious About, a podcast where two friends commiserate about our respective anxieties on a new topic each week. I'm Christopher Mitchell. And I'm Allison Green. And today we are anxious about restaurants. anxious about restaurants. And we'll get into all that kind of stuff a little bit down the line. But first, we got to check in, right? So yeah, I think we got to check in. So on a scale of one to uncontrollable weeping, where are you at today? I have been all over the place today. If you asked me in the morning, I would be like a six. And then I was like a four. And now I'm like a five because we're recording and I had a bunch of caffeine right before we started recording and caffeine can sort of trigger a little bit of anxiety. So let's just even it all out and do a five. I like it. I think that sounds good to me. It's been a slight roller coaster of a day, like not really big rolls on the roller coaster, but it's been (laughs) a little bit up and down today. So kind of hard to put a real number on it. What about you on a scale of one to uncontrollable weeping? How's how's your anxiety <laughs> treating you today? We were talking before about how both of us didn't have the best day yesterday. And I think that today feels better. We are making a point of trying not to focus too much on the fact that most of us are still self-quarantined with dealing and contending with the coronavirus restrictions and limitations on our lives. But I think it can be a little hard to avoid sometimes. And yesterday for me, I just couldn't avoid it. And I, I think I was a little overwhelmed by it. But it's okay. I'm just sort of accepting that it's a bit of a roller coaster right now with emotions. And today woke up feeling pretty good. I spent some time organizing last night to to make sure that I could wake up today knowing exactly what I wanted to do. And actually, so far today, things have really gone to plan and I've been a lot more efficient than I thought and I've knocked a whole bunch of things off of my to-do list. So that always feels really good. And and something I'm noticing is it seems like as I get closer to recording this podcast too, I tend to feel a little bit better too. So that's a good sign. And so I think I'd put myself around... Quite honestly, I just had a big cup of coffee before this too, so we'll see if this holds up for another 30 minutes. But uh, but I think I feel maybe like a – honestly, like a three right now. I feel, I'm feeling pretty good. That's nice. That is our low score, which is then our high score. So congrats to you so far. <laughs> well, thank you, and congrats to you as well. I think personally, on a scale of one to uncontrollable weeping, I think like the three to five range is perfectly reasonable, especially at this time when – I don't think we have to aim for perfection. No, I think a one would be like basically impossible in these current coronavirus situations. You'd have to be partially lobotomized in order to feel (laughs) a one during these days. Like I think even people who don't struggle with anxiety are suddenly experiencing it for the first time. So I think, yeah, one is probably not on the horizon for us. So I think a, I think a solid three is pretty much your three is someone else's one. Right. Yeah, Yeah, that works. That tracks. (laughs) Yeah. I I think the, the main thing is that we're both feeling all right, you know, but I guess that just for people who are listening, I mean, that's not to say I'll be feeling like a three in a couple hours. I think, I think about life right now is very roller coastery and, um, but the best way I've been able to contend with that is just simply accepting that it's going to be ups and downs and the ups and downs, which might have occurred weekly before might happen daily now, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Hourly. <laughs> hourly. Yeah. Minute. Minutely. No, not <laughs> minutely. Not minutely. Minutely. <laughs> Let's not go down that rabbit hole. Um, <laughs> secondly, so we always say before we get into the the meat of the conversation, that, you know, we, as much as we are hoping that this is helpful for people, we are neither of us trained in the, in the art of helping uh, others in, in terms of their anxiety. But I guess the main thing is that, that we're just communicating that we hope in sharing our experiences that it resonates, but we are, unfortunately, neither of us have our doctorate. No, no, sadly. Not yet. 
maybe we can work on that. I do have, I do have my M as my master's of science in secondary education, which is like almost there. I have my master's as well in education. So (gasps) how did I not know this about you? I don't know. I I know we're learning. We're learning on the fly right now. We're learning together. (laughs) I feel like that rises our stock up a little bit. I mean, two masters of ed. There we go. All right. Mm -hmm. Okay. I'm on one now. (laughs) 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 So um, all of that aside, I want to get into the crux of today. I'm kind of really interested to see how both of us approach this from different sides of the fence, as it were, and to see how how we both kind of approach the whole anxiety in relation to restaurants sort of thing. Do you want to kick it off? Yeah, sure. So the worst thing for me about going to a restaurant is the menu. I get really anxious about what's on the menu. I need to know where I'm going before I go so that I can look at the menu before I go and check and sort of have an idea in mind of what I'm going to want to order. If the place doesn't have a menu or like I can't use Yelp or some other sort of service, to find some things that people say were good. I feel totally lost when I get the menu, especially if the menu is too long or has several pages. I really get overwhelmed by like choices and making the wrong choice. And so when I go to like a random restaurant without having checked the menu, like if I'm traveling and we just need to go into the first restaurant we see, I get menu paralysis hardcore and just every option feels super overwhelming. So yeah, when I'm planning a dinner out with friends, I'm always looking at the online menu first because otherwise it's just major anxiety central. Interesting. So so I have no social anxiety as far as being in the restaurant, the music or the sound or whatever. Like I like going out. I think you like going out as well. I'm the same, actually. I find it really difficult to make the decision for what to order. And actually, Brie kind of, it's a thing, you know, like I, I take it, I read the menu often kind of five times. I'm like, it's the only time I'm like really quiet and focused because I'm like, I'm, you know, other than that, I'm talking all the time. So maybe it's a good reprieve for people going out with me. But It's the only thing keeping Brie from killing you. Exactly. Yeah. And, and so the thing is I will read the menu over a bunch of times and I'll, I'll often narrow it down to two or maybe three options and then ask the server about it, which I, I was talking to Brie before this episode, just I was, you know, kind of like mentioning what we were chatting about. And she said, quote, you always ask at least three questions and it's a little uncomfortable. I just have to tune <laughs> it out now. <laughs> and the questions are like, are, are because I, 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 and if people have listened to this podcast, um, already, they'll know this is a propensity of mine, but like they get kind of deep and philosophical. So it'll be like, okay, so I've narrowed it down to the pulled pork mac and cheese and the Reuben sandwich. Which dish would you say signifies the core of your restaurant more? No, you don't ask that. No, no, I know. I'm, I'm embellishing. Not quite. <laughs> But I would, yeah, yeah, because if I did that, you'd be like, I'm no longer um, a co-host with you. No, realistically, realistically, I would ask a question like, I'm torn between the, I don't know, this salad and this sandwich. Uh, What do you prefer? But Bree's thing is that I've served and she's served, and I know that that server doesn't necessarily have all the time in the world. So asking questions can be a little annoying. I can't necessarily help myself from asking a question or two. Yeah, I often ask people what their favorite dishes are as well, just to sort of see if I can narrow something down or if there's something that was jumping out at me and then they confirm that that was really good, then I can usually order that feeling pretty content with my decision. But I would kind of freak out if I had to make the decision in the moment, it's usually so much better if I can look at the menu online beforehand. But I, I am capable of going to a random restaurant and sitting down. It's just painful. 
Yeah, I think that's that's fair. I mean, I don't look online before I go. I'm just that person that takes a little extra time with the menu. And I, I just feel like if I'm going to pay for the meal that I want to make sure I make the right choice, you know? And Yeah, that's fair. So that's kind of my thing. I'm just like, but I don't think that in and of itself is unreasonable. It's just really like a microcosm for the way that I can have a propensity to take something which is really like minutia and, and not, is really not going to matter and then make it larger than life. So that's kind of something I have a propensity to doing it, like something which might not matter in an hour. You know, I can't tell you, if you told me the restaurant, I probably wouldn't remember what I even ordered, you know, but at the time it feels like a larger than life decision. You know what I mean? It does. Another thing I hate is like when everyone else is ready to order and you're not, but people have already kind of started ordering because they didn't like check in that every single person was ready. And then you have to like pick really, really fast when they come to you and you're like, oh, come back to me when everyone has theirs. It'll be fine. I'll pick something. But like on the inside, you're like, fuck you guys. Why did you start doing this? (laughs) Like now I'm going to have to pick something really fast and it's going to be the wrong thing and it's all your fault. I get a little, get a little intense when uh, people start making the rounds of ordering and I'm not ready. Not so, a fan of that. Yeah. So the episode prior, I think the episode before this that will be released is the episode where we talk about beaches. And I kind of think of the, the sort of the beach bros we were talking about who were like with the backwards hat and the chiseled abs and all that kind of stuff. I kind of think about the restaurant equivalent of that is the people who just arrive and they're like, okay, I'll have the chicken fingers. And like, it just, they just so easily know it's so nonchalant for them. And so easy. I'm like, damn you, yeah. damn you, you know, like at the same time too, like I, I do kind of enjoy actually the thought I put into it. Like I also probably wouldn't want to be the person that ordered the chicken fingers in a second. Like, yeah. you know, I, I kind of feel like I owe it to myself to put in the due diligence there and make that right choice, even yeah. though it's not a huge choice. But the thing is too, that I don't, I don't know how you approach drinks and stuff like that, but like, I'll put the same thought and care into the beer that I order. So that can be a little extensive. Yeah. I just get like haunted by these alternate timelines where I order different dishes and like have different results, you know, where like one is so much better than the other. And so that just is very stressful to me. Like the, the the chicken finger example, I could never, I could never be that person because I need to like really think, okay, like what are the possible outcomes of what I order? (laughs) (laughs) Which is in and of itself, you know, on an objective level, it's like, I'm full, I'm less full, you know, but, but, (laughs) but when you go down deep, it's like, now, I had feta three days ago when I enjoyed it. But, you know, am I – should I bring feta back into my life because I enjoyed it or should I avoid it and go with the Gouda? Like it it can get a little yeah in-depth. I also have a hard time pushing myself to order something different if I've been to the restaurant before and I really liked what I had the time previous. Like it's really hard for me to branch out to like a new unknown if the previous experience was positive, it's like hard for me to be like, oh, let me let me risk a bad meal when I know that this meal is really, really good. And so that's another thing that I struggle with is not ordering the same thing when I go to the same restaurant several times. I can sort of get into a bit of a rut. So I would almost never order the same thing. Really? Because I think about it as like, if I read a chapter of a book that I really like, I can assume that I will like the other chapters. So that's kind of the way I think about it. And also, I think almost everything I approach, I think about it sort of like didactically as kind of like a detective movie, except I'm the only person who's in on it. Um, So I'm kind of like always gathering information. And so in my head, I'm kind of just like, I, I I feel like I owe it to myself to find out more about the restaurant in case I have to recommend it later or something like that. I can talk with more verbosity about it. I wouldn't worry about you talking with verbosity. I think you've got that covered. <laughs> 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 yeah, well, that's – yes. 
for yeah, probably. Actually, even if I knew nothing about the restaurant, I'd probably go into like a big five minute narrative about nothing. Yeah. Um, if if you guys are friends with Critch Mitchell on Facebook, his status updates are usually almost like what would be like a chapter in a short novella. Like <laughs> he is he is pathologically incapable of providing a life update in less than five paragraphs. And I enjoy reading them. I really do. But um, it's a treat. If you're friends with Chris Mitchell on Facebook, you they are tomes. They are not captions. They are not <laughs> updates. They are tomes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's just true. Um, I won't I won't even <laughs> try to combat that or deny that. That is a true thing. I yeah, I I guess I <laughs> it comes down to everything feels significant. <laughs> You know, even if it's not. Uh, <laughs> I enjoy them, though. I feel like even if we haven't talked for a while, obviously now we're talking like at least once a week. But before, like when we weren't like working on any projects together, I always knew what was going on with you because the whole world knows what's going on with you. <laughs> if they're friends with you. That's they true. have the pleasure to be friends with you. However, I will say that um, like Twitter is kind of my jam now and I'm forced to fit in some some of those larger thoughts in one tweet and it's it's been a real challenge on a scale of one to weeping uncontrollably how how stressful is it for you to condense your thoughts into a tweet depends on the thought but i will say that it is a real test uh for me to to be concise i think i've done a pretty decent job but yeah, the, the reason that you, that it, I think is totally apt that you call it kind of like a mini short story or a novella is because I, I think they end up often having narratives that there's a clear beginning, middle and end, you know, with a, with, <laughs> with like a finite last sentence that rounds up the paragraphs. Yeah, it's, it's the five paragraph essay that we are all taught to write for our standardized tests. Yeah, in some way. In some way, in which I taught for a period of time. So, so that's, yeah, that's true. You're basically like the Leo Tolstoy of Facebook statuses. I mean, that's probably a top five greatest compliment I've ever gotten. <laughs> so, um, I'm actually going to rebrand almost everything now, all the traveling Mitch, everything like that, and just, and just have my tagline just Leo Tolstoy of Facebook posts. <laughs> Perfect. I think it's going to really take me to the next level. People will know what they're getting into. Yeah, exactly. Then people will know what they signed up for. That uh, seemingly innocuous friend request I send you, um, you're going to be opening up a whole can of worms there. So they're really just proofreading your novel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. I mean, and and that's and that, that's how I get my feedback. If it gets a lot of likes, I'm like, that's going in the novel. <laughs> um, that's a chat. That, <laughs> That's a chapter. So, yeah, I mean, I'm happy we, we we took that little walk to the left there. You know, I enjoyed that little that little side riff journey as well. Yeah, si I couldn't think of the word for that. Like sidetrack is side, side riff is side riff a thing? It's very difficult to to know if side yeah. riff is a thing. But no, I don't think that's a thing. Yeah, riff. Yeah, riff on the side. Riff. Yeah, yeah. Just a riff, perhaps. <laughs> this is going to be hell to edit. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and going back to sense and logic, uh, I, well, one thing I did want to mention, um, and, and just I will mention it now just in case we go on another free-falling diatribe, is that I actually a lot of the anxiety that I would get from going to a restaurant would be if I invited somebody to the restaurant – and whether or not their meal was good. Like that would oh. like, so, so for me, if I, if I had was going on Toronto and it came down to me to make a decision and I chose the restaurant and Brie and I were going on like a double date or something like that, I would be, I wouldn't say frantic, but a little bit like I would not care about my own meal really at all. I would just be focused on them having a good time and enjoying their experience, which is like very much from my mom. She's always like keen to make sure other people are having, are doing well and happy often at the expense of, of herself. She's just like so focused on being like the ultimate host. That happens to me when I invite people to restaurants. 
Interesting. Yeah, I have that not with restaurants, but like with music, like I hate being the DJ, like in a road trip or like, you know, you have friends over and you have to put some music on like I hate being the one to pick the music or like the movie or something because I'm just afraid of making the wrong choice and being embarrassed. I don't have that so much with restaurants. But if I had talked up a restaurant and been like, it was really good, and then it ends up not being that good, I would feel super embarrassed about it. Yeah. Which is not my fault, like that the restaurant messed up. But I would feel like it was my fault because I somehow didn't taste everything on the menu and know exactly what would be right and wrong. Yeah, I think I... I think I would somehow take responsibility for that and be like, I failed. <laughs> I failed miserably. <laughs> uh, but at the same time too, it's, I, I actually really enjoy that too. Like I, I feel like the two of us write a fair bit about travel and restaurants and so on. And I think I have a decent idea of what a good restaurant consists of now. Mm-hmm. I like bringing people to restaurants and, and actually, I mean, not to, I, I feel like all roads lead to COVID right now, but I think, it is funny to talk about restaurants right now and being like, yeah, you know, it's, it can be a little anxiety inducing or whatever. But at the same time too, I would give a fair bit to be able to like go to a restaurant right now that I like and even support a restaurant right now that's local. I think one thing that I can't underline enough is that especially in places that weren't my home, I created sort of little places that were like little homes away from home. So there was one restaurant Mm -hmm. at the bottom of my street in Istanbul where that was a place that if I was hungry on the way, on the way home from the gym or whatever, I would just pop in and, and I would fall into conversation and they were like helping me teach me Turkish and all this kind of stuff. And so I think it's also worth mentioning that a lot of my stress around restaurants is like places I haven't been yet, but there are some places that I have in my life that like, the restaurant in some way was kind of like my church. You know what I mean? Like it was like my sanctuary. I could go there and talk Turkish and drink tea. And, you know, I, I, I had a friend, Guven, who used, he used to drink Turkish tea. And before he took a sip of tea, I'm not sure how um, well people would know Turkish tea, but Turkish tea is served in these small, really curvaceous, like cylindrical, thin glass cups. And typically you would put, a cube of sugar in them, but he would take the cube of sugar and put it in between his teeth and then take a sip and the tea would melt the sugar into, into his mouth, which is like, yeah, perhaps anxiety inducing for dentists, but um, <laughs> I thought it was kind of cool. That's badass. Yeah, it is badass, right? I also, I guess, wanted to mention that I think once, at least for me, somebody who can be anxious about a new place, the opposite is true for places that I've been multiple times they're like little marks on the map of you know places that i'm i can feel comfortable and happy in yeah that's very true i really do miss going to my favorite restaurants like i have a few places here in sofia that i would go to all the time and i was just thinking the other day like i would give anything to be sitting out there like on the terrace drinking some rosé eating my favorite dish and not worrying about sanitizing everything. <laughs> so I definitely miss restaurants right now. But I agree with you that the worst is like when there's some aspect of newness to the experience. If it's a new restaurant or like new company that you're bringing to this restaurant, that's where the anxiety comes in. If it's a restaurant where like I know where the bathroom is, because that's the thing I hate is when I don't know where the bathroom is because I hate asking, but I also like hate walking around the restaurant aimlessly. (laughs) If I know where the bathroom is, if I know what the menu is, and I know that generally like I like the stuff there, then I'm cool with it. Then me and the restaurant are our buds. But uh, before that, there's a little bit of a a learning curve, a little bit of trepidation. (laughs) A touch of trepidation, you know. Um, Just a tad. Fair enough. I also wanted to ask about whether... Just kind of a a further point on what I was talking about before, but do you have more or less anxiety going to, let's say there's a new restaurant that you want to check out in Sofia or somewhere halfway across the globe. Are you more anxious to go to a new restaurant in your home city or when you're traveling abroad? What, what, is there a difference there for you at all? Definitely abroad just because of language things and, uh, basic differences in norms and that sort of thing. And 
sometimes alphabets can be different languages as well. So like in Bulgaria, I don't speak Bulgarian, but if you gave me a menu in Bulgarian, I could hang. Um, and I know like enough to like be able to handle like a restaurant interaction in Bulgarian. The language aspects for me is fine here. So I think I would have a little more anxiety if I was in another place and possibly having to deal with like a menu in a language I don't understand or like communicating with the waiter in a way that is complicated sometimes. So uh, that doesn't usually happen because I think most places now have English menus, but I've definitely been in a fair number of situations where like I'm just looking at a menu that basically looks like gibberish because I'm in Armenia and their alphabet is basically a bunch of squiggles. And uh, (laughs) I'm like, oh dear, I don't know what I'm doing here. And I don't speak enough Russian or Armenian to figure this out. So it kind of depends, honestly, on like what my grasp of the language is and what kind of alphabet they use. Is it like something where I can start to sort of puzzle out certain words, even if I don't speak the language fluently? You know, like I don't speak Italian, but if you plop a Italian menu in front of me, I'll be okay. I can figure out what it is by knowing other languages related to it and just knowing Italian food words. So I think it kind of depends on the country, you know? Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, I think the same. Obviously, there's a certain level of comfort of the places in your home city. But I also, I think I'm more focused on making meals count abroad. So I can recall certain instances where Brie and I will be arriving somewhere late. We're like tired and whatever. And we were like, well, let's just like get some sandwiches from this like random bus stop or like get McDonald's or something. Let's just get some food so we can go and crash. And I'm like, but is this, is this authentic enough? Like, is this, is this culturally relevant? You know? And like, so sometimes I have to pull back a little bit and just be like, I need to eat for sustenance right now. And it doesn't matter about, making this meal quote unquote count. Um, what matters is me getting back to, you know, getting to the Airbnb and whatever. And thankfully Bree's good at being like, not the time, bud, like tomorrow morning, you leave me <laughs> wherever you want. But uh, yeah, yeah, I agree 100%. And it's different for us because we have the immense privilege of being travel writers. We are both obviously grounded at the moment, but for me, it's not like my trip abroad is my two weeks of the year that I've saved up all year for and I really want to wring out every experience. I'm on the road 20 to 50% of the year, depending on the year. And so for me, it's like a lot of the times I have a soft spot for McDonald's and what I call my emotional support McNuggets. (laughs) And if I'm having like a really rough day anxiety-wise, and I'm in a city that has a McDonald's, I will just go and get a McDonald's and get my my chicken nuggets with my spicy mustard, my Coke and my fries. And that meal just will kind of calm me down. Like it's just, it's very neutral, comforting, but neutral. I know that the order process will be easy. I know that like, there's not going to be a language barrier so much, you know, it's just going to be a simple interaction and then I will be fed afterwards. And sometimes that's what you need. There's no shame in that. I think like, obviously, like I'm not, you know, the stereotype of the American who like goes to Paris and only eats McDonald's. Like, no, I'm not that. But you know, if I'm on the road for let's say 12 to 16 weeks a year, I will eat McDonald's probably once every two weeks while I'm traveling just to have an easy situation every now and then and to make things like a little less complicated for myself. Yeah. I think that that makes sense. Sometimes you just need that. I don't know if it's like home comfort necessarily, but like just knowing that there is one place that they do something the same all over the globe. And it's, it's kind of like terrible all over the globe, but in a good way, sort of, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And, uh, and you're like, it's going to be, it's consistently, greasy everywhere. And I couldn't expect a certain level of that. I think that's just the way sometimes when you're, especially if you're traveling and you're balancing a million different things and life is stressful, like I guess you you just don't want to make the restaurant choice something that's going to be difficult. And oftentimes for, for Brie and I or myself, it's just about like, I think actually I'm, I'm much better at letting things come to me when I'm on the road because I don't put as much pressure often on, on, on the restaurant if it's out of my hands. So, you know, I, I will, for example, if we did arrive late somewhere, I might, I've, I might insist, like 
say instead of going to McDonald's on the way home, which might be a better choice, I'd be like, let's just go to the place beside our hostel if we have been there and we already know it's there. And then we can just get to know the people there or, or wherever we're staying. But I think I'm more kind of go with the flow. I mean, we've been like cooking at home now for a while. So any restaurant sounds pretty decent to me at this <laughs> very moment, but it's a little different. Like I, I am excited genuinely. I, I mean, I, I think you know that I have a ebook on Toronto called a local travel writer's guide to Toronto. And uh, I'm kind of excited to go back out there and, and explore new spots. Um, the one good thing about, restaurants if you're on your own is typically you can find a spot to do some work and have your own experience and it doesn't have to be a big production often especially if you're going at lunchtime like you're i really like going for like a late lunch when it's already a little bit cleared out you want to like try a place that has something special and you kind of go on the off hours and you just do your thing and and do a little bit of work or whatever or i often listen to a podcast if i'm on my own at a at a restaurant and just kind of have my own space and time. And that seems to work pretty well for me. Yeah, I have to admit, I'm not the biggest fan of eating alone. I do it, but I always dread the entering and being seated process and the <laughs> like, oh, only one. You know, it's always like, it's always, and maybe it's because I'm a woman and the people who are seating me are usually men and they're like, only one and i'm just like slow your roll yes i am traveling alone it's not a it's not that big a deal like this happens now but i get a lot of comments not a lot but enough comments that i always have trepidation about that's that's apparently my word of the episode trepidation um i have some trepidation about being seated and having to deal with like the inevitable, like one, really one, as if it's like so uncommon. Um, one? and sometimes the questions that will, it's, it's bizarre or like only one, like that blows my mind. It's like, yes, only one. <laughs> I'm just, I'm <laughs> Two just... people don't need to be present to eat a meal. <laughs> sometimes it can just be one. I'm just taking this to the nth degree in my head. We're just, you know, I'm walking in a restaurant and they're like, oh, sir, um, just for you? I'm like, uh, yeah, just for me. You know, like, oh, well, you must be terribly lonely, sir. You know, like, <laughs> you look very lonely and decrepit. <laughs> I'm wondering, is this is this a solo traveler thing or is this something that is only like a woman thing where they're like only one? Do you get that as well? I think it is a female thing, to be honest with you. I, I've rarely actually gotten that only one sort of thing. And I'm not sure if that's cultural and places that I've been or what have you. But it, yeah, I, I would say I really actually haven't gotten that. Like in really anywhere I've gone, I haven't gotten the like, sir, <laughs> only one? <laughs> Uh, yeah, almost, almost ever. Uh, but I, 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 yeah, I don't know. Yeah, not I wouldn't really. say it happens every time, but I would say it happens probably thirty to forty percent of the time, and it's very annoying. Ma'am, I don't know why every <laughs> every example I give is like a fine dining, oh, like a terrifying madame. butler. <laughs> <laughs> oh, are you okay, ma'am? <laughs> <laughs> oh dear oh. all right i have a very deep philosophical question to ask you please all right please uh which would you rather tapas or tasting menu Ooh. so here's the short answer both i don't love because i'm terrified i won't get fed enough okay <laughs> yes <laughs> like this is a real thing for me like i I'm, there's nothing I detest more than leaving a restaurant not full. Yes. You know, like, I feel like that's the, you know, that's kind of what I paid to do. That was to check that off. So both of them frighten me. Um, I would say the tasting menu frightens me a little bit more because, you know, I would expect things like spreadable chevre cheese or something like that on like a little cracker and they're like did you taste the cheese you know like and that was <laughs> it whereas tapas at least i'm expected to have like multiple right. you know or like many it also depends who i was sharing with yeah but um you know what i'm gonna go ahead and say that 
tasting menu frightens me more because it's set. At least I can order ten tapas. Okay. <laughs> okay. See, I'm gonna I'm gonna be controversial here and say that I love tasting menus. Um because it's predetermined? Exactly. Like it eliminates the variable of choice. Like you have to make a couple choices. And usually that's fine. Because I'm not a picky eater pretty much at all, with the exception of my nemesis, the banana. So pretty <laughs> much pretty much I'm just really teasing and trying to build some anticipation for this episode. That is upcoming. I think it's going to come soon. The banana episode yeah, has to come soon. Yeah, anyway. But I will eat pretty much anything that's not organ meat or bananas. Anything else I will eat. <laughs> you know, like I won't eat things like sweetbreads or like brains or stuff. Like I just can't get my head around it. Um, no pun intended. But um, <laughs> everything else is pretty much fair game. So it's like, okay, which do I like better? And it's usually not a case where I think both sound terrible. Usually one will sound slightly better than the other. And then I'm only making a choice between two things. And I have had the experience where like I've gone home slightly hungry after a tasting menu, which is always kind of annoying. But usually I actually leave slightly too full after a tasting menu. And the other thing I really love with tasting menus is sometimes you can get like a wine pairing and that's really fun because I'm like a wine geek and I like to see what they pick with the the different tasting menus. Obviously it's like expensive and I don't do that very often, but when I am doing like a nice dinner out, oh, I love a tasting menu. Meanwhile, tapas gives me such anxiety because I don't know how much to order, you know, Mm. and I don't want to like you know, I guess some people are like comfortable ordering in rounds and stuff, but then I just get, I don't know, I get afraid that one round is going to take like way too long or like, you know, things will be, things will have run out or just other people won't be hungry, but I'll still be hungry. You know what I mean? And then it's like, oh, well, I'm not just going to order one thing while everyone else is finished. You know what I mean? So yeah, tapas for me can really freak me out. I had one very bad anxiety attack at a tapas restaurant in New York, and I don't think I've really enjoyed tapas ever since. It's funny how sometimes when you have a a strong, you know, emotional experience tied to something you did, how you can't really, or, you know, don't really want to go back, you know, you're just kind of yeah. like, I think I'm done with that yeah. for the time being. And uh, yeah, you're like, I, yeah, I'm taking, I'm taking a breather. But then it became a huge, like, dining trend, the small plates thing. But then the small plates are always, like, the same price as an entree at, like, a non-bougie hipster restaurant. So you're yeah. like, oh, my God, I have to order, like, five of these, and then they're all $9. Like, fuck you. You know? <laughs> Pimento peppers, $13, and you're like, oh, this is going to be good. And then it's, like, it's like three politely diced on like a bed of something you can't eat and you're like what yeah that infuriates me this. like the whole small plate trend to me it's fine if they're like priced accordingly and like the portion sizes make sense and correlates for like a thing of olives like three or five dollars that's fine but then it's like you know olives and then it's like 13 dollars, and you're like come on they're olives you just marinated that. Yeah, it's like, oh, did you not taste the small amount of pickled lavender that we put in there? And you're like, come on. Like, I did, but it wasn't worth paying $13. Yeah, yeah. is is pickled lavender worth $13 now? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I really struggle with, like, the small plate concepts. Like, I tend to really, like, just more... This sounds very funny because I just like went on and on about how much I love tasting menus because those are like as bougie as it gets. But I also just really love kind of hole in the wall, just authentic restaurants that are designed for like people within the community, like, and they welcome outsiders as well. You know, like I love going to places in like Manhattan Chinatown or like Queens Chinatown that are clearly there for the predominantly Chinese and Asian community there. But like you can easily go in and order and like, I love that. I love those kinds of places. And I always find you get such a better deal and like you eat better food than going to a place that's like, we're Asian fusion. And it's like, why? Because you put like soy sauce on this. Like what is fusion about this? Like I really don't (laughs) like those like super trendy restaurants that are just like, we're, 
or fusion. I'm just fusion. I hate that word. Like I hate fusion food. It's just like, you know, do you know what I call fusion restaurants? What? Confusion restaurants. <laughs> I like that. That is a dad joke and a half, but I like it. Because they're all confused about their identities. <laughs> yes. Yes. I'm not a fan. <laughs> I thought that was pretty good. I also wanted to mention with the tapas thing, one one time I actually really loved tapas was uh, was in Spain where I'm not sure – Andalusia? I'm not Probably sure Probably exactly Granada. Yeah, okay. So there's regions there where like you, you literally buy a beer and it comes with a dish that they're serving as tapas for the moment. And like you can just literally go bar hop and get five beers and – You've kind of accidentally had dinner. Yeah, I love that. I really like that. Loved it because it's there's no choice in it. It's like you choose your beer and then it comes with food. It just all feels very humane. And um, and in Italy as well, of course, the the whole culture of how, like aperitif, you know, and you have a – I don't know. You have a Aperol spritz in the afternoon and you get access to all this great food that you get to choose. Yeah, I really liked your word choice of humane there. That was that was a very funny word choice. <laughs> I, try, I try I try my absolute best. <laughs> my word choice is nothing if not eccentric. Yeah, it's, it's been a lot of a lot of late nights reading <laughs> and uh and writing and uh, I apologize to everybody. <laughs> <laughs> What would you say is like your ideal dinner group size and like when does it start to veer into like too many people? So I think six probably for me. Um Oof. four to six really anything anything beyond six, I get anxious about not making a connection with everybody at the table. Mm-hmm. So if there's eight people and it's not a circular table and it's a long rectangular table, then I get anxious about the fact that I probably only get to really talk to two people beside me and then the, the four people will talk to each other on the other side when I might want to talk to all eight people. So, And what if you get stuck with like the people who you really don't know and don't want to talk to that much? Exactly. That's so that's worst. why you need the circular table or you like six I can do because I think everyone's on the same page. I think eight, I'm cool with it as long as I can get to know people. But realistically, if I'm looking at like the ultra ideal, I think four is a is a great size because conversation flows, especially if you got like a yeah. double date rolling or whatever. But I'm fine with four, six, and I'm fine with eight too. If if you can, uh, if you can ensure that I'm not gonna like end up getting cordoned off to the side with one other person, and it, the restaurant has to be not too loud. Exactly. What about yourself? Um, six frightens me. Six is a little much. I would say that's like my upper limit with like not being incredibly anxious. I would say four is my ideal. One-on-one is great. Like group of three is great. Group of four also fine. Um, Probably the best. But then, yeah, once it starts getting close to six, I just worry that I'm going to be like on the edge on the periphery of the conversation and not really like know what's going on, sort of similar to what you were saying. But I also have like really bad hearing. I don't have any sort of actual technical deafness. I just like hear very poorly and listen very poorly, probably because I'm always thinking about something in my own head and I'm not (laughs) actually paying attention. But uh, I like to attribute it to my bad hearing. And so when it starts to become like a big group of people, I'm just like, I get all anxious because I feel like I can't hear what's going on, especially if the restaurant is really loud, which I don't know why. I just feel like restaurants are always so, so fucking loud lately. And it just starts to really get to me if it's a big group. Oh my God. If it's like a group of, I don't know, like 20 people, like I went to my husband's Christmas party and it was 20 people at a pizzeria and like figuring out the bill at the end was just like hell on earth. And it's like, you kind of can't go until everyone has put in. So even though you've already put in like, you know, more than your share just to like, be like, all right, I know some people aren't going to like get it totally right. Or, you know, whatever you put in more than your share and then they're still short. And you're like, are you serious? Like, come on guys. Like we have to like, like, do we really have to put in more? We already put in more than we should just to, like, prevent this from happening. And I just get really annoyed with, like, super big bills, especially if everyone's going around itemizing. And, like, then it's just like, oh, come on, guys. Like, let's just... If it's a small bill 
and there's like super big disparities in what people ordered, then fine. Itemize your bill and put in what you think is fine. Like, you know, I don't think that someone should pay for like my, like share the cost of my drinks if they didn't drink. But it's like, if you're at a, if it's a party of 20, it's like, come on guys, like, let's just be adults about this and just split the bill. Get it together. Like, otherwise, otherwise it's just going to be miserable and we'll be here. All night long. It is a funny, like, trope, though, eh? It's like when 20 people are standing there and everyone's like, I put in enough. And it's like, well, somebody yeah. didn't. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, Who is it? <laughs> One of you sons of bitches did not. Yeah. Okay, and now you're pretending like you did. Um, and and then you find out that there was a mistake on the bill. And you're like, I apologize for yelling at everybody. <laughs> I made a clown of myself. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, I think we did a pretty good number did you have any other topics you wanted to dive down? Uh, yeah, just one last one. Please, no, I got, I got time. I got time, friend. Are, are you sure you don't have any pressing uh, social commitments? I mean, I have some that I've created and put unnecessary importance <laughs> on them, um, and I, I've turned over the hourglass for no reason. But it's not real. <laughs> <laughs> You're not going to a, a wild afternoon party. Today? No, not not today. I only have wild afternoon parties on Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, uh, and Friday. Uh, okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. One thing that makes me anxious is tipping culture because I'm an American. So to some extent, it's fine in America because I know that basically no matter what, short of someone like punching me in the face, I am going to tip them 20%. And it's just kind of like, I know that I'm going to do it. I know that I'm going to be pissed off while I do it, but I know that I'm going to do it. You know what I mean? Whereas when I'm in other countries, I don't always know what I should be doing. And I feel guilty almost no matter what I end up tipping if it's not 20%. And But I don't like tipping 20% everywhere because I just feel like tipping culture is toxic at the end of the day. And it just, it's not something I want to perpetuate because I feel like, you know, the burden should be on the employers to provide a living wage for their employees. But at the same time, because I'm American, I feel really guilty if I'm not tipping 20%, unless I'm in a place like Norway where I like... Oh my God, you make more than like a, you know, five teachers back home make for doing your restaurant job. No, I'm not going to tip you and that's fine. But, um, with the exception of that, like I get really anxious about tipping in other countries and I'm not always sure that I'm tipping properly. Even if I like read about the tipping culture, I still feel like I'm not doing it right. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. It's difficult as well when you have, let's say you're in a country where you know that the servers are compensated not on a tip structure. So, you know, North America, the the way in which people are paid, it's basically saying that we're, we understand that a part of our servers and bartenders' wage is going to be paid by patrons through tipping. But there's a lot of countries that, that people are paid adequately and tipping isn't a huge factor. So... Even there, though, sometimes you go out for dinner with a North American and they tip 20%. And that puts you in a position where you're like, well, I don't really ethically believe in this, but I also don't want to look desperately cheap. So do I yeah. pay for it? Do I not? And that can be difficult. I think you you eventually just find what you're comfortable with. I always just kind of look at the reaction of the server, right? So it's like if you've, if you've read that 10% is the right thing to tip and you leave a 10% tip, and they pick it up and they look at it and just kind of like run of the mill, no problem. You're like, okay, great. You know, if you so actually, you know, the other thing too is though sometimes over tipping can be insulting in some cultures because they take it as like you think they need it or something like that. So tip, tipping mm -hmm. is uh, is one of those things that what when you're tipping what whatever amount you're tipping, you are sending a signal, but the anxiety comes around not being sure what signal you're sending. <laughs> yeah, like I know Japan, it's pretty much taboo to tip because it's just seen as like a charity gesture, like and, and it, it makes them feel unprofessional, basically, is what I've heard about tipping there. And so it's just not done. I've kind of settled on when I'm in Europe, I tip 10%, with the exception of places like Norway and Sweden, where 
I would maybe just like round mm-hmm. up slightly to the nearest increment that made sense if I was using cash. But the thing is, is that I'm usually not using cash, you know, and that's another thing that can be awkward is if you're paying for something with a credit card and then you because in, in the United States, when you pay with a credit card, you add the tip on the receipt at the end. And so you kind of don't have to like let them know what you're tipping. You can just like write down the amount and then leave. And so there's not a moment of truth. (laughs) But if you use a credit card to pay for something and you don't have cash to leave a tip, then you have to tell them what to punch into the credit card machine. And that can always be a little awkward. (laughs) You're worth $4.48. I know. Like, it's so weird. You know, it's so weird to be like, um can you add on this much money? And then you're like, oh God, was that enough? Was that too much? Like, do I seem like, you know, an oblivious American? Do I seem like a stingy asshole? Like, what am I, what am I, you know, sending off here? How do you view me? (laughs) I need to know. I need to know. I'm going to be thinking about this for like, Okay, probably only six hours, but still, (laughs) they will be a long six hours. (laughs) Intense six hours. Once you mention it to your partner for the third time, they're like, I'm going to murder you. (laughs) Stop bringing up the benign tip. (laughs) Yeah. I'm happy you mentioned that, actually. I had like a few things written down that I wanted to to go over today and tipping somehow wasn't on that list. So I thank you for saving this episode. You are welcome. It was my pleasure. Did you have any last saviors or do we do we slowly check out of uh, existence? Yeah, no, we we covered everything that I'm anxious about. I mean, I think that, you know, okay, well, no, if I sat down at a restaurant right now, I would have no anxiety about anything. Like in a in a world where coronavirus doesn't exist, I would just be so ecstatic to be at a restaurant again. But give me a couple months to get over the ecstaticness of being able to dine out again. And I would probably have a list of more things that make me anxious about restaurants, I'm sure, that I'm forgetting. And I think the other thing too, is that this podcast in general, and what we're trying to do is, it's more just about like, in a way, taking apart things that like going to the beach or like going to a restaurant or whatever it is, and kind of breaking it apart in ways that legitimately do make both of us feel anxious, anxious, but also providing some Seinfeld-esque observations. You know what I mean? Or just just trying to play with that a little bit. And it's not like either if you or I are hiding in the closet in shame, like, don't take me to the restaurant, you know. But, it's, <laughs> but it, is, yeah. it is also kind of worth taking apart how we feel sometimes about about this. And it, it's, a, it's a fun thought exercise, to be honest with you. Even just when I was writing down notes in preparation for the episode – I was thinking about certain things that I thought, yeah, that that makes sense. And that that's when I would pass it off to Brie for a second and she would drop those quotes. Like you always ask at least three questions. It's a little <laughs> uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah. I think, yeah, that's the thing about anxiety, right? Is that it's, it's not the all defining aspect of who you are, but it is also present in almost everything you do. <laughs> yeah. So even the things that you aren't actually afraid of, Anxiety will still sort of like creep in being irrational like it likes to do. And you'll still have your moments even like amidst the the joy you might be feeling for going to a restaurant and having like a really delicious meal with all your friends. You're still going to have that moment of panic that's like, I didn't find the bathroom when I walked in. Shit, I forgot to scan the room looking for the bathroom. Now I have to ask the waiter, where's the bathroom? And, oh, God, I don't – should I say that in English or should I say it in the local language? What is it in the local language? And then you go on these, like, mental spirals, you know? Yeah, and, exactly. And uh, so, yeah. So it's like – I just feel like that's the nature of anxiety, right, is that it's not like every single thing is always bad all the time. But it's also kind of inescapable (laughs) and there's always going to be times where it's just like this perfectly benign thing made me spiral out. And just because I'm not having a panic attack doesn't mean that like I'm not like mildly anxious, but I'm also fine. Have you seen the movie Stranger Than Fiction? I don't believe I have. But I also have like no short term or long term memory whatsoever. So It's it's very possible that I've seen it and totally forgotten, but continue. 
Okay, so it's it, it basically is the movie where Will Ferrell like starts to hear a voice in his head, which begins to narrate his life, mm-hmm. and he's just like, "Stop talking!" You know, I, I think it's I think that in a way is a good sort of metaphor for for what it's like to have have anxiety. Sometimes sometimes it's a really quiet voice, but sometimes it is overpowering. There's always a subplot, you know, <laughs> that, that other people that people aren't aware of, but you. And sometimes when you mention the subplot out loud, it seems ridiculous. So it can be helpful actually to, to, to say it out loud. But sometimes you don't want to say it out loud to seem to use a word you hate, bananas. And so it, it can be difficult at times. But I th- think if there's anything I'm, that we're probably trying to do with this podcast is just normalizing the fact that we all have sometimes irrational feelings about the everyday things that we face in our lives. and that's okay. You know, that's like not, not like a big, like, okay, come under the circle now and I'm going to pat you in the back. It's going to be a warm hug, you know, but I think that is probably a big thing that I've learned too, is like, there's no point panicking about my panic. You know, there's no, there's no point getting anxious about my anxiety. The best thing to do is just recognize it's there and be like, well, I know I'm being a little bit irrational right now about how important it is of whether I choose the Ruben or choose Whatever I don't know why I've mentioned the Reuben four times, but um, I think you really I think want I'm a desperate Ruben. for a Reuben. But like choosing between two sandwiches is ultimately one of the decisions that's uh, probably not going to make it into my brain, you know, later in life when I'm rehashing my life's work. You know, I don't know alternate timelines. What if you had? gotten you know the roast beef instead True, of the exactly remember that time you know the french dip that, what if you had chosen the, the french, french dip and not exactly. the reuben yeah so um thankfully i'm not at that shit yet where i'm like it was the french dip's fault but but uh <laughs> at the time it can seem so consequential so it, it's kind of fun to break these things apart and uh <laughs> it is and whether or not it's therapeutic for others i think it's pretty good therapy for us yeah, yeah. I don't know how you all feel about it. <laughs> Leave us a review and let us know. <laughs> yeah, the review is just like I don't understand. What? What? Why does Chris? Why keep, does he want a Reuben so badly? Mentioning the freaking Reuben four times, and uh, and if Allison says trepidation one more time, I'm going to not only turn off the podcast but delete it in an intense fashion. <laughs> whatever an intense delete, deletion looks like yeah like i'm imagining you know how you like hung up your flip phone like when you were angry with someone like yeah mom i'll be ready in five minutes you know <laughs> was i the only teenage no no not at all i was certainly a teenage douchebag i do miss that about flip phones it was really satisfying to hang up on people with them that's true yeah, it it really was. I missed that in a small way. Just start throwing your iPhone. Yeah, that's a smart that. idea. I think that's what I'll do. <laughs> I think that's the takeaway from this episode is I'm going to go and throw <laughs> my iPhone. Um, so I'm happy we got there. I think that was <laughs> the appropriate endpoint. Um, speaking of endpoints, uh, because I love natural transitions, we always end our respective episodes, um, of which there are perhaps four so far, but uh, we have established routine and we're going to stick by it. We always end off by talking about one thing that we are indeed patting ourselves on the back for. Uh, I, of course, didn't write anything down for this, so I'm going to pass it on to you to let me know one thing you're patting yourself on the back for so that I can think about my answer. So you're being the asshole at the restaurant who is like, yeah, we're ready. Oh, wait, come back to me. Yeah, or I'm asking you to explain your dinner choice so that I can not (laughs) listen and choose my own meal. (laughs) while debating whether I should get the French dip or the Reuben. (laughs) Um, To be honest, I actually just kind of had a rough week. Like I didn't really do too much. I've really been struggling uh, with productivity and just sort of mourning uh, the loss of my travel businesses and all the stress of trying to build a new business. So I've been kind of like paralyzed the last week, honestly, in terms of like actually making progress on like new projects. And I'm a really bad procrastinator. And I didn't even like want to start looking at my emails and stuff. So I would say sort of like a two parter. 
Like, I'm proud that I at least started to look through my emails and respond to people and stop avoiding everything because I, that's one of the main ways my anxiety manifests is through like avoidance and just like letting things snowball until they become worse and worse. And I'm increasingly more anxious about it. And I used to be the kind of person who could not have like any notifications or like any number on my email inbox. Like it always had to be inbox zero. And lately I've just been like letting it get to like 600 or 700. And I cleared through 200 yesterday and just sort of bit by bit clearing my inbox and getting on top of different things. So that's part one. But part two is more simple, just like getting through the week. And I think sometimes there is not really a particular thing to celebrate. Sometimes it's just good enough to just get through the week and just be pretty much where you were the week before. You don't always need to be making progress. Sometimes it's perfectly fine to just stall out for a little bit and just do whatever you need to do to get yourself through that week. In my case, it was baking a lot of bread, eating a lot of carbs, and playing video games all week. So Epic. I think that's a great answer. And it's also perfectly reasonable at this time to not have the one thing where you're like, I'm definitely patting myself on the back for this. I, I'm kind of the same. I don't really have one thing that I'm patting myself on the back for. Um, actually, you know what? I do have one thing I'm patting myself on the back for. On, uh, on, and this is like not a humble brag. It's like legit. It was a, it added a lot of light into my life. On Friday, I got a call that I won a travel writing award held by Ottawa, which is uh, our nation's capital. And uh, I submitted something on a whim one day, honestly, not even really thinking about it. And, I got word that I had won and it it comes with a little cash prize that I really could use right now. But quite honestly, what's been really difficult about this process is that kind of like you, I had all these businesses based on travel or I mean, whether you want to call them businesses or income streams or whatever, these were things that I, I thought were kind of secure. And it can be difficult to not tether your sense of self to your income streams. You know, you, I, unfortunately, you know, we're brought up from the beginning to, to think about the notion that you're making this much money. So you're this successful. And in, on the one hand, it's been really nice to pull away from that and realize I have, you know, worth beyond my money making abilities. Um, but, uh, it was also good to be validated and realize that, you know, it wasn't just a passion for travel writing, but maybe, you know, I have some, I, you know, I'm perhaps apt at it as well. So it was hugely validating for me. And um, the person who called me from Ottawa Tourism was actually in tears calling me because she was, she knew how much it would mean to, to me. I always wear my heart on this, my sleeve, right? So she knew I was going to be emotional about getting the award too. So, you know what, that was a, that was, I'm patting myself on the back for, for finding the time to apply to that, but also for for writing it and for realizing that for I, I'm terrible at accepting praise too. And I'm terrible as much as I like kind of like joke around about not being humble. Like I, I I'm terrible at accepting praise. And so I, I immediately got uncomfortable on the call. I was like, Oh, thank you. Like I, I almost wanted to be like, did you make a mistake? You know, are you sure you want to choose me? Um, but uh, instead I just rolled with it. I, I took the rest of the evening off and uh, I drank some wine and some beer and, and celebrated it. So I'm happy that I, for once in my life, took a second to celebrate a win. Congratulations. And yeah, congratulations on your award. I knew about this already because you wrote a very and very touching Facebook status about it. But but I'm very proud of you. And it's very exciting. It's really nice to have your work validated by anyone. Like I don't care what anyone says. It's really nice to win things and get, you know, props and get congratulations. Agreed. Well, thank you very much. Yeah, it's funny. I mean, what a full circle moment to come back around to the uh, to the Facebook posts. You know me. I love those full circles. I know. We always manage to do it. This last time it was with Kierkegaard and now this time we've got uh, the, the Tolstoy Facebook. <laughs> so clearly <laughs> we're just uh, two really bored English majors. just <laughs> With a master's. With a master's, just spinning out. <laughs> we are spinning tires, baby. 
Oh dear. So so if this episode you haven't been outside enough. Yeah, I was gonna say if this episode um wasn't enough for people and they're there for some reason. Haven't run away in fear. Yeah, I was gonna say if, if somebody has still here, I mean first I, I I love and commend you. But if somebody's saying, I just listened to that whole episode and I just did not get enough Allison in my life. So where, where can they, I want to say hunt you down, but I think, <laughs> but how about, where can they seek you out? <laughs> yeah, I prefer being sought out or hunted down. Um, I know times are tough these days, but uh, let's not hunt me down. Uh, <laughs> so you can find me several places. Um, you can find me on social media at Eternal Arrival, although I'll be honest, I am not like Chris and I don't do much on any of my social channels because... I am an introvert in real life and an even bigger introvert on social media. So pretty much it's just like occasional photos of my dog or food that I'm cooking. Um, so you can find me at Eternal Arrival on social media channels. Um, my main blog is eternalarrival.com. My blog about the Balkans is sophiaadventures.com if you want to know more about Bulgaria or other places in the Balkans that you can't travel to right now anyway. <laughs> or uh, you can check out my new food blog, The Passport Kitchen, which is dedicated to cooking food from around the world in your own kitchen. So I actually just before this call today made a delicious feijoada, which is a Brazilian bean stew. Uh, my husband's from Brazil, and uh, we were kind of missing Brazilian food. So I made a feijoada that I'm going to upload on the food blog pretty soon. So um, that's where you can find me. Wicked. I love that. Yeah, and, and for me, um, I am social on the media that's social. Um, I love <clears throat> I love Twitter perhaps annoyingly. So it's just like my jam. I like Twitter a lot. So you can find me there at, at traveling Mitch with one L you can find me on Instagram as well. A little less active on there and Facebook. If you want to get to know Brie and I travel talk with traveling, Mitch is our Facebook group. And um, if you're in Ontario, ultimate Ontario is my website and brand there. And I think that's about, about sums it up for me. Um, but hopefully, I think my, my guess is they probably got ample Chris and Allison today. If you were listening, are they as in the person listening to you? Anyways, here's for strange endings. Um, thank you so much for, for listening today. Uh, we appreciate you uh, giving your time here and, uh, and, and for being with us. And uh, we'll catch you next time. Thank you. Bye-bye.